This is episode 104 with my mum, Wendy Robinson. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Here we are again with my mum, Wendy Robbo. After the first episode with mum, I asked for people to reach out if they were interested to hear more and the response was respectful and almost overwhelming in a good way. You guys were keen to learn more about our case and other perspectives and aspects that wouldn't really normally get shared much in society. So here we are. If you haven't listened to the first episode with mum, I highly recommend and I suggest that you go back and listen to that one before listening to this episode. So you can find the first one by scrolling down to episode number 93 or typing in yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash Wendy Robinson. As you can see by the title of this one, we talk a lot about mums and other people's mental health. And just remember, If you are experiencing mental health battles, Lifeline is a great place to reach out to and you can contact them on 13 11 14. This is another long episode and it's very much mum and I having a good old chinwag, having a good chat. There's some things that we discuss in here that will blow you away and you will learn that we are, well lucky to be alive ourselves I guess and make sure you listen to the end when I give mum her gift for giving her time and value and this one brought her to tears again like the gift did on the first episode and it's something that I've never given as a gift on this podcast one other thing we forgot to discuss in this episode is the petition that we mentioned in the first episode, the petition to show your support of wanting to get the terrible laws changed that currently state that murderers, uh, they allow murderers to be convicted of not guilty and therefore never have a criminal record to their name if they have been diagnosed with a mental illness. So thank you to everyone who signed and shared this. Mum is abundantly grateful and wanted to let you all know that we now have over 22 thousand signatures that's massive but the more the better so if you haven't had a chance to support this yet you can find it at www.change.org that's the website and then just in the little search bit that looks like a magnifying glass you can just type in wendy robinson and it'll take you straight there just to put your name in and share it around too so people have been signing it and sharing it which is great I'll also link it in the show notes. Before we hear from Mumsy, I want to take a minute to read another iTunes review. And this one is titled Focus. 
It says, thanks so much, Robbo. I've only been listening for 48 hours, but I've squeezed in around eight podcasts in that time. I found this podcast from the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I've loved cleaning the house and driving the car as you and your guests inspire me to focus and start to plan my goals. I really appreciated the episode with your mum. What a legend. What a family. It's great to have the positive vibes, focus and direction of you and your guests to help me become my best. Big thanks. Cheers, McGee. And that's by Anya Cobb from Australia. <laughs> thanks, Anya Cobb. Greatly appreciated. I'm sure you'll appreciate this part too with mum as well. It's really cool to hear about the Osher Ginsberg listeners that have also started listening to this podcast since the times that Osher and I have crossed over and been on each other's podcasts. I've had quite a few of them reach out. Osher's a genuine legend and I've had a lot of feedback about that episode that I was on his podcast and also a lot of feedback about the episode with him on here and how revealing it was and made a lot of people think a bit differently. Okay, now let's hear from my mum, Wendy Robbo. Mumsy, welcome back to Your Life of Impact. Thank you, Brett. It's January 1st, 2019. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, son. And we are going to have an exciting year. Yes, very exciting for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> many reasons. I'm grateful to have you here and we hugged it out here on the Gold Coast in my home here in the lounge room together last night without my gorgeous Marie because she's gone back to Sweden at the moment and it's not that I don't give you a hug with love every day that you're here but last night it was uh, it was very special to have you here for New Year's. Mum, I'm very grateful for it. Oh, thank you, Brett. I thought it was a bit special too. And very rare for me to see midnight in these days. <laughs> so thank you for keeping me awake. Yes, well done. <laughs> but the main reason you're actually visiting is not just for Christmas and New Year's, but you're up here for rehab because after the last court case in Sydney that we'll talk a lot about in this episode, you had a bit of a fall and broke your patella. Tell us a little bit about that and then why you've had to come here for your rehab and not able to stay in Cobar. Well, yes, it was after our last court case. It was the next day. That evening we'd gone out for dinner and we're walking back to our hotel and I just went for a slide. Not sure how it happened, but it was a slide on their driveway and down I went and I cracked the patella in three, fractured the patella in three. And I heard it. I was there with you in Sydney and it went snap. Yes, and I remember saying, I've heard the crack, I've heard the crack. Anyway, consequently, I ended up in an ambulance. Um, after my family supporting me, I had you and Marie and your father helping me at one stage and then Demi comes along in an Uber after being out for dinner and she and Marie are supporting me while you're trying to wave the ambulance down, I think. I think I was in and out of a little bit of consciousness. So I can't really remember some of it. But um, I do remember eventually getting in an ambulance and then waking up in emergency with all you around me. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember it was you were in a lot of pain. It was hard to see you in that much pain, especially with everything that we just went through. And as we said, we'll talk about the, the shit results of the court case in this episode. But 
I still remember I, I grabbed your leg straight away and made sure you didn't move it at all. Yeah. And I was looking at your leg and it took me a while to work out what was going on. You had long pants on, but they were tight and I could see there was bone protruding or almost protruding through the skin. But I couldn't work out whether it was your patella or whether it was your big your tibia, your big shin bone poking up through the leg. I couldn't work it out, but you were in a lot of pain. I knew it was a bad break, but I still remember, I said this to you a lot afterwards, I still remember in my mind, this sucks to see mum in so much pain with everything else that's gone on, but it's just a broken leg. This is just a broken leg. <laughs> it's, it'll heal. It's just a broken leg. With everything we've been through, some of the people that I've coached that have almost lost their lives, you know what? It's just a broken leg. And it is. Yeah, it broke my heart at the time that it happened because it was the last thing I needed. But yes, it was just a broken leg. And you mentioning your athletes. Since I have broken that kneecap, Scotty Reardon and Vanessa are on my mind constantly during my rehab and my recovery and my mending. They um, are to be admired to survive what they survived. And inspiration to draw you through your rehab. But that's what I was saying. Why, tell everyone why you're up here for rehab. Well, in cab- well, the first five weeks I was in a leg brace, so I couldn't do much anyway. And I was told to rest and keep it up. After five weeks the leg brace came on because the surgeon was happy with the results of the x-ray in that particular visit. So I'd say to him, what about rehab? What about physio? Oh, you don't need physio yet. So I go home and I sit around for another four weeks till the next visit. And in that visit he was more than happy with the healing of the bones. What about physio? Yes, come with me. So he took me in and I had a very brief physio session at Dubbo Base. She gave me a list of exercises. I went home and followed through with the exercises. But I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. So I went and saw my doctor. He gave me more exercises. He actually gave me more than the physio. I just couldn't get the help I needed. I finally got into a physiotherapist that visits Cobar every six weeks now. She was coming three weeks. And I just felt that I was getting nowhere with trying to recover and mend this knee of mine. And I'd lost a lot of muscle on the top of my leg. And in the meantime, I was spending so much time at home alone because I couldn't drive unless your father was around to take me somewhere. And when he works 12-hour shifts, I was constantly home alone. So I was doing a lot of not much at all at home and slowly but surely slipping into a state of depression to a point one weekend I was having really bad thoughts and I cried out for your help. Yeah, I received that phone call and we've had many chats over the last four years that I've helped you through a lot of your mental health battles and that was one where I just said, you know what, even if it's not for knee rehab, get up here. There's a lot we can do. And there was a lot of obviously physical rehab that we knew you were missing out on down there too but the main thing for me was your mental health is the most important thing so that's what we had to to work on and since you've been here we've obviously done you know seen some great physios and i've given you a lot of other stuff and we've done a lot together and there's been i've taught you some of the breathing and how to use your diaphragm and got you on the bone broth and the good turmeric and all the natural anti-inflammatories and all that kind of stuff where 
and even the normal things the natural things like being here on the ocean and having the ocean breeze and being out in in a you know change of environment i knew was all going to spice it up for you and and help with your mental health absolutely brett and it has yeah i felt it in the first three days it's such a change in myself uh, before arriving here i was quite scared of where i was heading um, I arrived on the Sunday, you had me in the physiotherapist and the gym on the Monday. Uh, even on the Sunday night, you had me across the road at the beach. and it's On the path, by the way, not on the sand. On the path, you yes. You couldn't even bend your knee. I wasn't getting you down on the sand doing beach training. No, <laughs> but just to go in there and take in that ocean breeze and look at that blue water and feel the fresh air, it was just a lift Immediately on that Sunday night I arrived. Funny thing about day two in when we're walking back across the road here and you said, it's even good to see green grass, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) For those listening, Cobar is a red, hot, dry place in the middle of the country that obviously doesn't have much green grass. (laughs) Yes, I did say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is good to see green grass. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to – you mentioned there – briefly about slipping into that state of depression and we're going to talk a lot about your mental health uh, in regards to life before your parents were killed and during the last four years and and the way that this quote-unquote so-called justice system is swaying towards the benefit of the murderers as opposed to looking after the mental health of the victims but before we dive into that We recorded the first episode together over 18 months ago and I wasn't able to release it for almost 18 months for legal reasons, which I talked about in that episode. And in the intro, I asked the listeners to reach out if they wanted to hear a part two. And I'm grateful to say that we were pleasantly overwhelmed with positive feedback, genuine support and genuine interest to hear more from you. Actually, I must say that you were particularly overwhelmed. I wasn't surprised at all because I get a lot of feedback all the time from listeners, which I love, and I knew your episode and your story was going to be super impactful, and it was. But I think the support that we got was quite overwhelming for you when I was sharing it all with you. Yes, it was, yeah. And and some of the feedback brought me to tears, and but at the same time put a smile on my face. Yeah, and one that stands out to me was a woman raised her concerns because she had a trial starting the following month and she was feared that it was all going to head in the same direction for her. So immediately my headspace went into this poor woman. She's going to go right up the road that I've just travelled and I'd travelled it for nearly four years and she was about to go into the beginning of it. You've had quite a few victims reach out over the past four years, haven't you? Yes, I have, yes. You've, you've supported some of them and mentored them, really? Yes, I guess I have. And I've also put in con- one in connection with the Attorney-General. Um, another one, um, after my story came out on A Current Affair, which was the same time as the release of this podcast... Uh, he rang me and he said his opening line was 
hello, Wendy, I am so sorry. I said, what are you apologising about? And he said, if I had done what you are trying to do now, you would be not going through this. He said, my mother was murdered by my stepfather. He was entitled to 100% of everything that mum had. And he said, I fought him through the forfeiture rule. But if I had gone that one step further and tried to have laws changed, he said, you would not be going through what you're going through today. And I said to him, don't apologise. It's all good. I'm surviving, but I can't give up on this. And he actually said to me that he was going to sit down and write to the Attorney General, but I haven't spoken to him since. Did you say 10 years ago? He said 10 years? Yeah, 10 years ago was his mother's murder. Um, But adding to this conversation, he also, um, so to speak, put the skids under me a little bit because his stepfather had just recently, before that conversation, started being released out into society after 10 years of murdering his mother. And this is one of the laws that need to be looked at. They need to be kept in much, much longer. Yeah, well, that's the the scary part. And what we mentioned previously too in the last episode was that the fact is that people are getting released. And people, you know, your brother could be released. Like that's the the scary part of it. While the judge's verdict in the judge's orders, the wording was indefinitely, but that doesn't secure a thing. Indefinitely in my eyes is forever, but in the eyes of the law it does not mean forever. He could be out in ten years or less or more. Hopefully not with your fights for these laws. It hopefully raises the the concerns and the reality of, of all of that, but... You know, just thinking about what that guy reached out and said, if you think about the fight that you're having and if you get these laws changed, hopefully in 10 years' time, people are thanking you for getting the laws changed so yes. they're not having to go through it as opposed to the opposite. Yeah. And, it, uh, and it doesn't have to be a verbal or physical mm. thank. They'd be just looking up at the stars saying, thank goodness these laws have changed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And in in his conversation too, he said, I just want to bring to your attention too that um, when these forensic patients are locked up, we are led to believe that the mental health tribunal team read everything that goes with them, all their psychiatrist reports and their um, the whole case, the trial and everything. He said, in my case, he said they read bugger all of mum's murderer details. He said, I had to end up writing to them and pointing out how dangerous this man is. And he said, you wouldn't believe it. I got a phone call thanking me and apologising because they're unaware That's of, ridiculous. of his whole story. Yeah, and like we spoke about in the first episode too, the whole story is that there was a lifetime of grandeur delusions and, uh, you know, we found a lot of diary entries and notes that he'd written around the house and threats to do what he did. He wanted to do much earlier. So yes, there was a lot that went into the research behind getting him locked up and diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Yes, yeah. Mm. 
And I don't don't know whatever happened to the terminology of premeditated, but when you find evidence of what my brother did want to do much earlier than when he did do it, um, in in my eyes that's premeditated. He's thought about that long before he did it. And yes, he has got a mental illness. We always saw that in him. We always knew there was something wrong with him. Um, myself and mum and dad, and including your father, Brett, over the years tried to help him. Um, he obviously didn't want the help that we could see he needed because he kept walking away from that help. But it still does not excuse him for what he has done. He is still guilty of killing mum and dad. And he always will be. Yeah, he 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 admitted to it. There's no remorse. There's nothing like that. It's obvious. It's it's guilt. So we mentioned there before you've had other victims reach out, but also police officers uh, have reached out since hearing your story on a current affair and on this podcast, and and they've informed you that they didn't even know the laws were like that. There were some police officers that listened to this podcast and reached out. Uh, the the laws of no criminal record part, and that. It, you know, not guilty of murder due to mental illness means they don't have a criminal record. There was listeners of the podcast that you and I both have never met that reached out and shared their feelings and support and obviously many Cobar people and other friends also sending their support from around the country and around the world. How did you feel about getting the story out there to a bigger scale through A Current Affair and through this podcast and how did you feel that A Current Affair portrayed the story? I felt relieved when it finally came out because it was something we were tucking behind us for 18 months because I was virtually gagged and that's something that sits under my skin too. Um, So my initial feeling was relieved. That's finally out. After 18 months of us preparing this and having to sneak around and let a current affair follow me around through the court system... It's finally out there. And I'm quite happy to openly say that now because I'm not gagged anymore. But I just want the public to know that I had to hide these reporters tucked up behind me somewhere over 18 months. I had to tuck them away in Cobar, tuck them away in the court system in Sydney so that they could really see the whole picture properly. And when the story finally came out, um, I was very impressed with Channel 9 giving it the publicity they did. They gave it publicity right up until 4 o'clock the afternoon that it came out. And then when I sat down and finally saw the story myself, watching 18 months put together in two eight-minute segments without an ad in the middle. I thought they did a very good job. It wasn't sensationalised. It was the fact. It was the truth. It was exactly how I hoped it would come out. And I know some of it was hard because we as families had to watch reenactments. You told me yourself, Brett, that you weren't expecting that when you watched it. But I knew that they would have to do something like that to get the viewer for the viewer to feel the whole impact of it that we went through. And I was absolutely thrilled and happy 
and grateful for the way that story came out and ended. Yeah, I agree. It, it did shock me, the reenactment part. I wasn't expecting that. So it was – I'd worked – I'd sort of anchored myself in to, to be ready for most of it, but not that part. But I was actually really happy with how they did portray it because, like I said in the last one, that when they first reached out to you, I said, oh, I don't know about that. There's always a, an underlying reason why they would want to follow that story. But when we got to know the girls a lot better and then once I saw it all unfold, that story that night, I thought they did a really good job of it. No, it was a lot excellent. of respect done in it. They really embraced my situation and we shed tears together behind the scenes with the current affair team and myself. Yeah, yeah, they were emotionally attached and, you know, they there has been great support from them. There's been great support from everyone reaching out, like we said. But you also received some concern from people that if you did go public, that something worse could happen, that your brother could organise something Yeah, for to happen to you on the outside what's what's your thoughts on this because we were led to believe that he was potentially planning to kill more of us family yeah when this all unfolded yes we were led to believe that he had plans for all of us virtually the reason we know that when when you think back to he found out that we all weren't going to be home for christmas and he was agitated by that uh, and very disappointed when he knew that all the family wasn't going to be there. Uh, he was found to have been digging holes in a property outside of Cobar with a small digger, and they had dozens, after the killings, they had dozens of forensic investigators come out and scour that property. and Including you know, a seismic aeroplane. There you go, an aeroplane yeah. plus dozens of forensic investigators on the ground. And... At the the time those investigators were due to come out, um, that was on the Monday after Mum and Dad's funeral. But I got a call from the one of the detectives leading the case, um, apologising to me that it wasn't going to happen because of the Lint Cafe siege. The Lint Cafe siege happened on the Monday morning after Mum and Dad's funeral, so they needed extra forces involved in that. So that had to all be settled before these people could come out to Cobar and search the land of where my brother was digging and clearing and whatever his plans were out there. So what's your thoughts on all of that? Because you've you've been fearful of your life previously and you know you see these results and like we said in the last episode so many people knew that something bad was going to happen and when we found out that that was the potential of maybe him taking out more of us if we were home that christmas yeah and to the to this day the detectives haven't denied that and they haven't admitted that either they've brushed over that and you and i'd recently had a conversation that i feel that they were protecting me and i sometimes think in the detectives are very good telling us absolutely everything going through, but there I just got the feeling at times every time that conversation came up, they were protecting me on detail. Um, so I remember as all the family were being interviewed, we all had to go at different times to make statements at the police station. Your father came back and I was actually standing in the kitchen 
And he walked in, he was as white as a ghost. He was nearly in tears, he was trembling. He said, Wendy, we're all lucky to be alive. I said, what are you talking about? He said, come with me, come with me. And he took me up to the end of the hallway. And Brett, I don't remember, no, can't remember if it was you or Jay or both of you. But we stood in the doorway of your bedroom and your father said, it looks like Scott was plotting to kill all of us. I said, you're kidding. And I said, why, what do you know? And he said, oh, that's right, we're not allowed to talk about our statements, I can't tell you. And from that moment, fear was inside me. I was nearly sick with fear of what could have been. And I do sometimes think of that. And back to someone saying to me when the current affair story had come out, I had one person privately contact me through Messenger saying, do you realise that the most favourite show in prison is a current affair and your brother is going to not be happy when he sees that he's probably seen this show? And my response was, I don't care. I had another message from someone that knows the prison system very well saying, do you realise your brother's going to cop a flogging over this show? Because they now know, the other prisoners now know the full story. Apparently prisoners don't share their full story. So on that one I said, oh well, so be it. And there another message, I actually got a phone call saying, I fear for your safety after this story come, coming out. What if your brother sends someone after you? And you know what? My attitude was, I can't live in fear. All of a sudden I got stronger when that person said that to me. I actually got annoyed that they would even want to say that to me. Why try and put that fear of God into me? But all of a sudden I didn't care. I thought, I can't live my daily life in fear. I don't care. And to be honest with you, I would imagine if he's going to send someone after me, he's got to pay them and he hasn't got any money. So, And all that was going through my head. I said, I don't care. I don't ever want to know that. I don't want people to say that to me. I want to live my life not in fear anymore. It's exactly right. We can't move forward and enjoy life if we're living in fear. The the reality is that it, it is kind of scary if you think about it, but if you don't think about it, then you're going to be able to live your life. Yeah, that's right. And that goes back to what we were talking about before around the scary part of this justice system releasing these kind of people into society. Yes, that's right. Double murderer with a mental illness plotting to kill more people with the potential to be released. That's right. And probably has a bigger hatred on me now than what he did previous to killing mum and dad yeah so yeah I, I could be in danger but I'm not going to think about it you mentioned there that he would have to pay someone he doesn't have any money but let's talk about the outcome of the court case because there's a lot of confusion around that in the previous episode I didn't mention any figures that was mentioned on a current affair but 
do you want to remind the listeners again what the forfeiture case was all about that you'd been fighting and that was finally settled in Sydney? And then talk through the outcome and all these different outcomes and all the bullshit that is coming with it since then. And to mention to the listener that as of today, sitting here right now, it is still going on virtually. It still has not ended for me. So the court case was on the 12th of September. But in February uh, 2017... We commenced the court case because I filed a case under Section 11 of the Forfeiture Act 1995 and what I filed was I wanted my brother's rights forfeited to his share of mum and dad's estates because Scott and I were both beneficiaries to mum and dad's estates and I, from day one I said no way is he getting anything after murdering mum and dad when I found out that there was the possibility. So we came out of court on the 12th of September at lunchtime without an answer. That was the day of the hearing. So anyway, there was no answer that day. So we waited three weeks and I'm at home and my barrister phones me and when I answered the phone, she said, are you sitting down? And I said, no. She said, well, I suggest you sit down. And I said, what's happened? And she said, you've won the forfeiture case. I said, oh, thank goodness. She said, however, it's come with conditions. I said, you're kidding me. And she said, the conditions are, the judge's orders are, that your brother will get $100,000 and you have to pay the defence team for their, their bill. I said, you're kidding. And immediately the anger just got, it just burred up into me. I said, this is so unfair. I said, that, yes, I've won the forfeiture case, but why should my brother get money out of this? And $100,000, what for? And then we talked about appealing. And I said, well, can I appeal? And she said, yes, you can. I said, what's it going to cost me to appeal? She said, another hundred to 150000 possibly. I said, I'm in a no-win situation. This is ridiculous. Anyway, she said, take your time and think about it. I think I had 14 days to think about it. And on day four, I thought, I'm not going any f- further with this. I'm not going to appeal this. I'm risking it another hundred and hundred and fifty thousand at the very minimum and I my emotions couldn't take any more. Plus in the meantime I'd broken my knee. I didn't I couldn't see me travelling back down to Sydney to start court all over again. So the judge's order is court order pursuant to section eleven of the Forfeiture Act nineteen ninety five that the forfeiture rule apply to the defendant as if he had been guilty of the murders of Donald Ian Setry and Margaret Catherine Setry, which means his rights were forfeited to his half of the inheritance. But he ordered me to give my brother via the public trustee, I had to put in trust 
$100,000 for his maintenance, education and advancement in life. So 50000 was to come from mum's estate and 50000 was to come from dad's estate. And that is now... and. That is now in trust for my brother. For him to access for care and maintenance only while in prison. So when my brother went, killed mum and dad and went to jail, he didn't have a cent to his name. At one stage throughout the court proceedings, there was a bank balance of 85 cents or something. So out of killing mum and dad, he's now $100,000 richer. And the only way I see it is a reward. The judge has given him a reward for his actions, which absolutely sickens me. It's blood money. It's filth. You're exactly right. He's been rewarded for murdering two people. And the money can be accessed by the judge's orders for maintenance, education and advancement in life. And other people can't access it for him like his... Power of attorney. Power of attorney, who happens to be my auntie, dad's younger sister. And that's another story on its own where she came into the picture. And how do you feel about him being rewarded that money for those things? Why should he? He's had those chances in life. He's been given those opportunities dozens of times and blown it every time. Why should he get the chance again with mum and dad's money after killing them both? Yeah, well, you're right. They're the only ones that have actually kept him alive really and looked after him and they've bailed him out kept a roof over his head and they're the ones that have fed him and literally kept him alive and to add to the judge's orders um he ordered that the defendant's costs of the proceedings be paid out of the two estates which are mum and dad's estates and on a couple of nights ago um late at night I received an email. They have presented me with invoices of $158,065.70 that they want me to pay out of the estates. And in that, my aunt wants $9,882 for her travel costs to attend court. So just to make it really clear for everyone listening... Immediately after so-called winning the forfeiture case, you've had to pay the murderer $100,000 out of your parents' estates. Yes. And then now, and there was also order to pay the defence legal teams. Yes. The defence who are defending a double murderer. Yes. And you've got to pay their legal fees plus your auntie, which is your dad's sister... Wants nearly 10000 out of she, it. Because she stepped in to help... The murderer. The murderer. The person who murdered her brother, which is freaking weird in itself. Yes. And she wants money for stepping in to help the murderer. And it's got to come from the murdered people's estates. Yes. Your parents' estates. Yeah. So, so she's virtually asking for $10,000 out of her own brother's money. Because she's trying to help the murderer. Yes. It's weird. It is. Definitely weird. 
that part of it's weird enough but let's go back to the legalities of the fact that you are expected to pay the court fees of 158,000 or the all the legal fees of $158,000. Well that's not all the legal fees that's just the defense side. I've got my own to pay yet which I haven't received a bill for yet because they're still helping me fight this case that we thought had ended. So it's probably going to be a similar amount do you think? Possibly. Because they've been involved in the same amount of time. The only difference is the defence did go off track a lot and the strange thing is um, in court the defence barrister actually said to the judge one day, Your Honour, I don't understand what this case is about. It was a joke and now I'm getting billed for something she didn't understand what she was doing. Mm. Also, Brett, you heard yourself throughout the proceedings, all they did was ask for money court case after court case after court case and he kept saying this is not a gravy train this isn't a bottomless pit and then right at the end of it all after the hearing he slams me to pay their costs how does it make you feel because right from the start for you to fight the forfeiture case it was never about you getting more money no it was about the fact that hang on if i don't fight this that means the murderer gets money gets rewarded simply just okay there's half the estate yes if i didn't file that case yes he would have automatically got half of everything that mum and dad owned and i just in my own eyes and i know mum and dad would agree um it was wrong you don't kill someone to inherit you don't kill someone to get half of everything they own it's wrong in my eyes it's no different to a theft or a burglary it is wrong. It, it, it's, there's nothing right in it. On top of all this, over the past four years, you've also had to keep their business running. Yes, and that's been very tiring. And there's been times where I haven't want to be there. There's been times when I am there that I can't even think what I'm doing because all the court procedures going through my head or the, the solicitor or barrister will ring and put demands on me that they need something on their desk by whatever hour and it hasn't been easy and speaking of not being easy and sort of shifting things a little bit let's talk about your mental health and the state of your mental health you were actually seeing a psychologist for your depression before your parents my beautiful grandparents were killed but you couldn't continue that can you tell us why you couldn't keep seeing that psychologist anymore in Cobar at that time. Right. That psychologist, it turns out that that psychologist was also counselling my brother. And you wouldn't believe it, the very last counselling session I had with her, which I'm, I'm thinking three or four weeks before we lost mum and dad, that whole counselling session was about my brother. I had downloaded on her about my brother. And unbeknownst to me, um, he was getting to me at the time because I was constantly propping mum and dad up. I was constantly in fear of what he was going to do. And I remember that I rang my counsellor and I said, I need to see you. She said, Wendy, I haven't got an appointment available for weeks. I said, um, I can't stop crying and I was crying 
And she said, I'm so sorry. And she chatted to me over the phone well, and I hung up. Well, it was within the hour she rang back and she said, look, I've just had a cancellation. Do you want to come in? And I said, yes, please. So in I went. Unbeknownst to me, did I know, realise my brother had just cancelled his appointment and I had taken his appointment. And it was that particular appointment where I just absolutely downloaded on her about my brother. And I told her about his behaviour and way back his drug taking and his abuse on mum and his abuse on his ex-wife and his abuse on me and the fear that I had in me and the fact that I was locking my house up because I was scared that he was going to come around and I, and the fact that he used to help himself to my property and I had to lock everything up. and So that whole counselling session was about him. And um, it was very close to the night that he murdered mum and dad. So after the murder and and we went off to Perth and I came back to Cobar, I needed counselling. I knew I needed counselling. I was depressed. I was... I just couldn't pick myself up. So I contacted her and told her that I needed counselling. I didn't get to speak to her directly, but I left a message on her answering service of her mobile phone. And a little while later, her secretary rang me and apologised that she could no longer see me because it was a conflict of interest. I said, what do you mean it's a conflict of interest? She said, your brother was a client of ours. I just felt sick because I was straight away I went back to that last counselling session I'd had where I downloaded about my brother. So from there I tried to look for another psychiatrist to have a counselling session with. Every psychiatrist available to Cobar my brother had been to. It was a conflict of interest. So I looked into Burke. He'd seen ones that travelled to Burke, which is a, a small country town, 170 k's away. It was a conflict of interest. I started phoning around Dubbo. My brother had seen counsellors there. It was a conflict of interest. I could not get a counsellor that my brother hadn't seen. I just couldn't find one in the district at the time. So in the meantime, a, hot, a wonderful group that come into the picture right from the start of a murder is... Homicide Victim Support Group and I had a wonderful counsellor, Chantelle and um, she would would help me more and more over the phone because I contacted her and said I can't get a counsellor so in that conversation, she, unbeknownst to me, she was counselling me but she decided to put some research into it and she started phoning around the district virtually following the path that I went on she could not find a counsellor that my brother hadn't seen to help me. And she rang me and she said, I can't believe this. So he'd been to so many counsellors and yet not one of them had diagnosed him with the schizophrenia that the prison counsellors diagnosed him with. And what's baffling is the the fact that the support that he gets because like we've said he, there's no doubt that he has a mental illness and he needs help but he's had it for his whole life and it's deep-seated 
paranoid schizophrenia. But like you've just talked about, all these costings and these rewards that he's getting and all this money that you have to pay to try and fight against that because of the fact that he has a mental illness. Yes. And because they look at the murderer's mental health state through all of this, it always came back to the murderer's mental health, the murderer's mental health, the murderer's mental health. And it's disgusting because what the laws that are written in black and white don't consider is the mental health of the victims. They don't. Like yourself, like the guy who called you and went through it 10 years ago. Yes. Like the victim who reached out to you who was about to go through it straight after the story came out. They don't sit down and assess the mental health of the victims because I've said it to you over the last four years. I've watched your mental health deteriorate. You have peaks and troughs and you're a tower of strength to be able to get through this. But some of the phone calls, like the one recently where you've reached out, it scared me because it scares you because what you've been through is like a a whirlwind, a tornado of shit that is going to drag anyone through anxiety, depression, high levels of stress. And I sit here hearing you having to pay, well, it's not you, it's the estate of your parents who were killed yeah. and you've got to go through all this and they've got to pay the fees for this poor murderer because of his mental health and then the auntie that steps in and then the defence team that are defending the murderer. What about, has anyone sat down with you and said, Wendy, how is your mental health? Have they tracked it over the past four years? Have they reached out to say, shit, we need to help you. There's something that we need to do for you? Like, is there anything that the so-called justice system does here? You mentioned homicide victim support. They've been absolutely amazing and the people there are beautiful, but that's not a government-supported thing, is it? There's a bit of government funding there. It was originally... Yeah. It was originally set up by Anita Cobby's dad and anyone listening to this will remember the Anita Cobby story because back when the Cobbies lost... Uh, back Just when that what is the Anita Cobby story? Because a lot of people wouldn't know it. Anita Cobby was a nurse in Sydney that was horrifically kidnapped and murdered in the Blacktown area back in the 80s, I think. Yeah. And um, her parents, can you imagine her parents, what they went through? It's one of the most horrific murders in Australia. Five guys are now doing a life sentence. Um, But her parents could see that there was nothing for the victims back then, nothing. There was no homicide victim support group back then and counsellors and all sorts of things. So they set this organisation up and back in the early days it really relied heavily on fundraising and volunteer work. Now I believe there's a little bit of government money that goes in there but it still relies heavily on fundraising and volunteer work and there's some money from the mental health funding pocket on the from the government yeah and so those guys have obviously reached out and they've they've been with you through court and everything like that but like you said you've you've had trouble to actually be able to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist in your area in person yes you know how tell us about your mental health what have you experienced oh some deep dark down and out moments lots of tears 
um, the fear of night time. Um, I hate, hated, I went through a stage where I hated night time because that was dark time. That was your depress- most depressing time. That was when I really missed mum and dad or I got really got angry with the whole justice system and I got angry with my brother and night times, that, that's a dark time. It's horrible. Um, and just the fact that you want to, you can't keep downloading on your friends and family about your feeling and you can't keep crying on their shoulder. You need to go to a professional and just offload it. Um, and I'm not a medication person, so I didn't want to be popping pills. You go and see the doctor and he's quite happy to give you a pill. I, I, I needed to download. And it wasn't until 2016. So mum and dad were killed December 2014. And I remember it was 2016 before a couple of local councillors were available in Cobar. Um, reasonably new um, but I was finally able to reach out because I can remember the first appointment where I went in to see one of the local councillors was um, we've got the trial coming up this year and I can't sleep and I'm continually sickened about it and I don't want to get in the stand to be a witness and I remember that being my first so it was 2016 because the trial was in at the end of July 2016 I've had, as you mentioned before, you know, a lot of the phone calls from you and it's been really hard for me because I know what you're going through from obviously I wasn't impacted as much as you. It was your daily life that was impacted. But for me, I was having to shift on the other end of the phone to be not the shoulder to cry on, to be there for support but also to be the coach knowing that you weren't able to get much of the support and helping you to get through those tough times not by just being that shoulder to cry on but being there and and coaching you through things and for you to understand your emotions and um, the fear and the anger and how that triggers your depression and anxiety and giving you strategies and tools to work on and different things like that so it's been I've been proud to be able to help you with that, but I've also been, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, and it's been hard to see you suffering. Yeah, Brett, you've saved my life a few times, I can tell you now. I'm not saying I was going to go out, that was probably a very um, strong expression to use, I wasn't going to go out and kill myself. But that's how you feel when you're so depressed. Once you've had that conversation, you feel like, oh, that guy's just saved my life and that guy was you many a times. And I can tell you now, you just said you've been proud to help me. A parent is not proud to fall in a heap on their children. That is the toughest thing. And it just upset me that I had to turn to you at times to pull me out of the position I was in. I knew I couldn't talk to Jay because of the time difference in Canada. I was home alone a lot. I couldn't talk to Demi because she was actually, your sister was actually going through the same emotions that I was going through and she was over in Perth seeking help herself. And I think she was leaning on you too. 
so you were the one. When I couldn't get a counsellor, and even in between counselling sessions when I finally did get a counsellor, you were the one teaching me about myself and shifting my mindset and breathing techniques. And, yeah, you were the one, Brett. You helped me so much. I'm so grateful. (laughs) And that's why I'm so proud and that's all grown from... And I'm very proud of you for doing it. (laughs) But I'm not... As a parent, I'm not proud of myself for having to lump myself on one of my children. Well, it's not really something that you're going to be proud of, but you shouldn't be disappointed by it. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I guess what you should be proud of is the fact that we have the relationship where you can do that. Yes. You might not be proud that you, you have to reach out and download, but you should be proud of the fact that hey, you've raised a boy that you can reach out to and have support (laughs) from. But that all comes back to what I often speak about on this podcast is the journey that I went through from the start. You know, know, I've told the story a lot where I saw psychologists from day one and they helped me and they helped me shift my mindset. And it was always about, okay, I have to now look at this. I'm going to be a stronger person from going through this, the toughest time in my life. And it's now an opportunity for me to be the best version of myself, which means I've got to learn a heap of shit of how to get through it myself and then learn how to teach others how to handle life, not just massive adversities like what we've been through, but even the small challenges of life. And that's been my mission over the past three and a half years since I had that, those discussions and that epiphany and that realisation. So that's why the pride comes through when I am able to help you with that, Mum. Yes, yeah. And since I've been here, you've taught me a lot about um, the gut health, which helps the mind. Yeah, and I, I'm starting to feel it now. I've been here a fortnight and I'm really starting to feel it now. What do you feel? I feel happier and healthier and stronger. And even though I just had a little cry then, and I will still always cry for some reason Absolutely. or another, I, I'm not in that scared place of depression that I was in before I came up here and yeah you mentioned it the gut health and the way that we've targeted that is wiping out all the pro-inflammatory foods and uh, you know getting you a lot more of the bone broth and the the turmeric mixes and having the the good organic quality foods and having it more often and just those kind of things and you know gut health is a big part of mental health and there's obviously the environmental change plus the breathing work that we've been doing and, and everything else. And I see you've just got a glimmer of hope now too with the knee rehab and, you know, everything. Yeah. It's all the sort of pieces coming together. Yeah. Well, I've still got a long way to go with the knee rehab. I feel I've come a long way in, in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, I'm coping a lot better. And... You mentioned it there before, you, although you had a cry now, you're feeling a lot better and that's the reality of it, right? Yeah. You don't you don't expect to be healed and, and never experience an emotion again. And you've seen me twice in the last week. What's happened to me for no reason at all? Well, it's not no reason. There's been <laughs> things that trigger you into those emotions and you've broken down, haven't yeah. What was going through your mind then? Well, on Christmas Day, I was just missing mum and dad and... You and I were doing a little session of rehab, even on Christmas Day, for my knee. And just you touching me brought out the emotions. The tears just came. And I was trying to explain to you how that can just happen to me at the drop of a hat. 
for no reason at all. Um, I can be at work and all of a sudden I can feel it in my chest and under my skin and behind my eyes. It's coming. The flood's coming. And sometimes I've got to duck out to the storeroom at work or into the ladies' toilets and just let it flow out of me. And it's all it is is a, a trigger of thoughts on mum and dad or the situation I'm in, not feeling sorry for myself but feeling fed up with some of it. Um, it'll start ticking over in my mind and the tears come, the emotions come. And then on my birthday, which was only a few days ago, I was having lunch with you and Marie and what happened? And I tried to look away from you and Marie so you couldn't see that my eyes were starting to welt. And you said to me, where are your thoughts, Mum? And that just brought it out in me, yeah. And that's why I say, you know, you say it's for no reason at all and I know it's not because I understand I've studied emotions, emotional intelligence, and I know that emotions are energy in motion and for any of us that experience any emotions whether they're the happy helpful ones or whether they're the unhelpful or depressive ones there's a link between what we think and how we feel so if you're thinking those thoughts that can trigger those emotions emotions are also stored physically in our body so that touch sensation even if you weren't thinking those thoughts of missing your parents on christmas day though i know you were thinking those thoughts then the emotions can be stored somewhere and a bit of movement and a bit of that can trigger that as well so that's why i'm never surprised or baffled by it when i have clients break down on me all the time when when we go there when we trigger those emotions in different ways yeah. but what the important thing is that you know the tools of how to handle it and know how to let it be as opposed to for it to get over the top of you and that's one thing that i think is really clear with you that people might not know that see you on a regular basis they might hear this and think oh my god wendy is actually not coping behind the scenes she's faking it when she's in front of us when in actual fact no the you struggle at times a lot at times but you do have the tools to get you through because reality is people who experience mental health issues they need the tools to help them through it's not like they'll never experience it again and it's your times of the supportive Cobar community and keeping you busy at work and being around us family and having your goals and visions that do see you through. Yeah. And an another thing that happens to me quite regularly, Brett, is, and I was actually at a girlfriend's place last night and we discussed this, is the vagueness, um, the the men you've asked me about my own mental health it's not always about being down and out there's other so many things in the mental health and there's sometimes when I'm just totally switched off from what's around me and in another world of vagueness and I can't remember what the person said five minutes ago and I don't retain things anymore I find I've got a write lots of notes because I don't retain anything anymore. Probably also because your mind is full of, you retain a lot of stuff about the court and all the bullshit that you're going through, like you've talked to, to us about some of that. So your mind is full with all these important things too. So it makes sense that you feel like you're not retaining it. And there's also that link too of, of the gut health aspect and the knee and all these blockages. It's still within you. It's not that your mind is deteriorating. It's just that we need to 
reactivated again. Yes, exactly. In the last episode that we did together, we mentioned that amongst all the obvious reasons for wanting these court proceedings to end, you also needed them to end so you could move forward with your purpose. Talk to us again about what it is that you are wanting to do and where you're wanting to go with that. Okay, so there's some laws I want changed. And I, and as far as the forfeiture rule goes, it needs to... It's an, was set in 1995, it needs to have some clauses changed so you don't have to go through what I've gone through. Don't necessarily want that law changed, but it needs to be dealt with easier. So the law I want, and we want the title changed of my brother's in jail for not guilty by reason of mental illness. And as I mentioned in my last podcast, um, not guilty doesn't sit pretty. The other thing is he doesn't have a criminal record. Because of that not guilty title, he doesn't have a criminal record. So if and when these forensic patients come out, which are the criminals, um, there's no criminal record whatsoever. So I'm, I'm meeting with the Attorney General to have that looked at, some sort of criminal record. And you mentioned earlier that after... My podcast came out, and the current affairs current affairs story came out. That police have even reached out to me and said they were unaware that these people didn't have a criminal record. And the third thing I want changed is that their rights taken away to still be able to inherit after killing someone that they're going to benefit from. Um, and I've just thought of something else mentioning the police in, since the last podcast and since the current affairs story, and I don't know if I've even told you this, Brett, I wrote to the Commissioner of Police um, because I watched a story on TV um, very similar to mine. It wasn't a story, it was a news report. And after it, after it the Commissioner of Police was interviewed and he's saying, you know, we will get to the bottom of this and da-da-da-da-da, not in those words. And I thought, oh, I'm going to walk into the computer right now and I'm going to write to the Commissioner of Police. So I Googled him, got his email address and wrote to the Commissioner of Police and said, are you aware that with forensic patients they do not have a criminal record? When and if they ever get out, if they're pulled up, the police have no access to find out that they have murdered two people? Or if they go to get a job, they can get a job in a government department, a school, a nursing home, which has happened, um, and they go to do a criminal record check, they're as clean as a whistle. So I kept for days I kept checking my emails for return, kept checking my... And I asked for his input. I said, I've been meeting with the Attorney-General, it's now time that we got the police on side. I have spoken to local police, including the sergeant, and other police have reached out to me and they are unaware of this. It's now time to get the police on side. Um, can you come on board? Can we talk? Can we meet? So for days I kept checking my emails. Finally, I get a reply from the commissioner and I 
I'm tipping that it was from his secretary. I don't even know if the commissioner got to see it when I saw the response. It virtually told me it was not the commissioner, it wasn't the concern of this department and I was to continue meeting with the Attorney-General. And I was just baffled. Um, in the meantime, I have come up here and I haven't followed it through, but my intent is to follow it through to say, yes, I am continuing writing to the Attorney-General about the, these issues and the no criminal record, but what I'm asking you for is to come on board so that you can express to the Attorney-General that you, the Commissioner of Police, want a criminal record for your team of police in each state of Australia to be able to check on these people. Makes, it's common sense, really. It's it common like sense, yeah. Mm. And I just, I was stunned at the reply I got. But uh, don't worry, I'm not going to give up. It's just been coming up here, Christmas and New Year. 2019 will bring on more letter writing. And also part of your purpose is you've done a, a little bit of speaking and you're passionate about this area around domestic violence and yes. speaking on that. Because as we've talked about in this podcast, in the previous one, as it becomes very evident that... It's been a big part of your life in many different ways and unfortunately it ended up with the murder of your parents. Yes. I've been a guest speaker for domestic violence three times and my intention is I want to do more and if anyone out there wants to get in touch with me, I am more than happy to go to their function and speak about my story and in my talk about domestic violence, I talk about the signs that were there that we ignored, that I'm now encouraging people to see the signs and reach out and do something about it before it's too late, before a family member's murdered, like in my case. Yeah, that's right. That's the, the extreme of it. But like you said, there were so many signs throughout the years that a lot of people would be experiencing and... You know, I've, I've heard you speak and I know the, the brunt of everything that you've been through and it's very powerful and empowering, I think, for, for many people yeah. to hear that and receive that and know what action to take. I remember the first time I did the domestic violence talk, I had a couple of females approach me afterwards and thank me very much and I just sensed that they may have been in a situation that they didn't see the signs until they heard them from me that night. And in my wow. third domestic violence talk, so many came forward for two reasons in that one. Similar situations, one in particular, and um, the other was that they were supporting me in what can we do to help you make change was mm. the other reason that so many people came forward. And how can the listeners reach out to you if they want to get in contact with you about that or any other way to support? And and on that question, that like I ask all my guests, how can we support you on your journey? Well, they can either reach out to me via you or approach either of us personally if they know us um, or they can contact me by email. If they email me, I'm quite happy to reply. Um, Email address? RobinsonWendy03 at gmail.com and I'll link that in the show notes too. 
Yes. So if they want to email me, I'll be quite happy to reply or in the email give me a phone number and I'm happy to phone them. Mum, we're all proud of you and we're all here for you. And as you know, one of my top core values is giving and I give all my guests a gift for coming onto the podcast and I gave you one last time. I got the beautiful family picture that was your favourite one of all of us and I got that blown up and put on canvas and sent to your home because we were in Sydney at the time and it was there waiting for you when you got back. This time I've got a couple of messages of support as a gift to you from a couple of blokes that I know you have a lot of admiration for. So I'm just going to play these I'm going to play these for you now. Wendy Robbo, I have to say that it was, it's really, really empowering what you're doing. There's obviously a need for the change and it's actually really inspiring what you're doing. And I know that how, well, the journey that you're on is quite difficult and that there's a lot of things that are going to be going in a way that is unpredictable and, and highly stressful and, and can be quite emotionally draining at timing. But I have to say that there's, there's a lot of people that have been affected by this and I'm, I'm sure that uh, through the flow and effect of that first podcast, you'll start to realise that there's more and more people that are going to be affected by this in the future. And I, I really love what you're doing and, and the, the amount of people that are going to be grateful for what you're doing now into the future is, is huge. So things are going to get tough and things are already tough from what I can hear. But chin up, Wendy, you are an inspiration to all of us. You're an absolute legend. What you're doing now is going to change the lives of many, many more to the future. Keep up the positive attitude and you've got a really good support network around you. So keep it all up. Uh, we're thinking of you down here in Canberra and we will probably see you at some point. And I'm hearing set round two for the podcast is on the cards. So really looking forward to listening to that as well. From all the family, keep things positive and keep going. You're going to change your life and the life of many, many more. So keep it up. Scotty Reardon, how bizarre is that? <laughs> that was beautiful. Love you, Scotty. We inspire each other, obviously. <laughs> wow, very. That is an awesome gift. You yeah. mentioned him at the start of the podcast, saying how, how inspired you are by him. I can see you there crying. I know that that means a lot to you. Yes, it does. Scotty should be here to give me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one more in in this gift as well. Oh, who's this one, Brett? Oh. We're thinking of you and what you're doing right now you're making sure that nobody has to have to deal with this same thing ever again and that's all we can do we always fight as long and as hard as we can and and hopefully make the place a little bit better and what you're doing is 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 making that and we love you we're thinking of you be bold and we're all behind you kurt fernley <laughs> mm. Kurt, thank you very much. Um, I absolutely admire you, you know that. There's been times that I've just prayed that you didn't hook up with Brett Robinson for one reason or another, but anyway, we've survived that. Kurt, thank you. That was beautiful. Yeah. I'm speechless. I'm overwhelmed, Brett, with the gift. I, apart from saying thank you... Kurt's another one that inspires me. I have the greatest admiration and respect for Kurt Fernley. Kurt yeah. and Scotty are genuine legends and they're good mates of mine and they're 
always reaching out mum and and asking how you're going they care and you know they're just two of hundreds of people that do that but I know that you follow them closely and and they have helped you without saying anything previously because you've mentioned it with Kurt's book with watching him perform with Scotty's performances you mentioned his beautiful wife Vanessa before so that gift to you is not really from me it's from them yes I know and to add to Kurt um Brett was only days after you arrived out at Cobar after losing Brimmer and Grinda that Kurt Fernley's book arrived and he had sent me a message in the book. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yes. And I remember that bringing me to tears at times and I still have that book. No one's ever going to get their hands on that book. <laughs> <laughs> but it, he, he gave me a very inspiring message at the time. Like I said, we're all proud of you. We're all here to support you and wish to see your journey and your purpose unfold exponentially as it can and as it should because the impact that you can have is profound and it deserves to be spread far and wide. Before we wrap up, we'll do the fast five questions again because it's been 18 months since the last time and it doesn't matter if the answers are different. That's the beauty of growth and living life and answering questions in the moment. But before we do the quick fast five, is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners or anything that you'd like to ask me? Uh, No, I don't think so. I'd just like to thank everyone for their support and love because it doesn't just come from Cobar anymore or my previous hometown of Ningen, a little country town up the road. It's coming from far and wide now across Australia. Um, And also, too, I'd like the listeners to be aware of, as we speak, there's another story being done on me um, and it'll be released at the end of January um, in the Take 5 magazine and it's going to be just as powerful as the original Daily Telegraph story and the current affairs story and our podcast. So people can find that in, it's called the Take 5 magazine? It's called Take 5. Um, yes, uh, uh, and the, the journalist reached out to me after a current affair. Actually, a few journalists reached out to me after a current affair and it's um, through another journalist's advice that I've run with this magazine at the moment. I'm looking forward to seeing that one too. Okay, so the fast five. Are you ready? So you don't need to... I'm never ready for your fast (laughs) five, but anyway, let's go. What's one habit you wish you could change? It's probably still biting that lip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you remembered that one? Yes. thought it was going to be procrastination after that big procrastinating answer. (laughs) Yeah, we've had procrastination. There you go. What makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energised? On a daily basis or a one-off basis or what? It's the fast five, whatever comes to mind. I'm going to be a grandmother in April and I cannot wait. I'm absolutely (laughs) pumped. And to the listeners, those of you that don't know, um, when our last court case finished, we all went to a coffee shop. I guess it was celebration, plus there was a lot of family members together. And I had a bottle of champagne delivered to me, t- congratulating me on I'm going to be 
a FIFO nanny. For those of you that don't know, FIFO means fly in, fly out in the mining industry terminology. <laughs> so I'm going to be um, my little grandchild's fly in, fly out nanny. <laughs> Yes, I know. You've been ready for that for about 10 years. And I do have to say to you and Marie, Brett, after everything that I've been through in the last four years, this little Lillivan, which means little friend in Swedish, is going to bring so much delight into this family. It's exactly what we need after everything we've had. I only said to someone last night, children bring a ray of sunshine into the moment, no matter how good or how bad the moment is, in the, a child can just bring that ray of sunshine in. And I thank you for making me a grandmother. <laughs> proud of your son that now. you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing that I'm very proud of. <laughs> the third question, we already know the answer and I didn't think to change it, so I'm going to just switch it on the spot. Have you ever washed two dogs at once? No, it's a big enough job for washing one dog at once. (laughs) What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, It's still what mum said to me, give and you shall receive. And um, I feel that I have given a lot um, throughout this and now I'm starting to receive. Uh, People are starting to listen. And I don't mean I've been giving financially or giving gifts or I am a gift giver. I love giving gifts. But I feel now that things are coming back to me. For instance, the Attorney-General's listening to me and a couple of politicians are listening. My friends and the public out there are really starting to see and they're coming back to me, supporting me or giving me ideas to, to how to make a change. So I feel I am now receiving. And it's not in, in, in gifts, although Kobar does shower me with gifts sometimes. It's the receiving of the support and the love and people are finally starting to understand the issues out there and they're supporting that and wanting... People are reaching out to me now saying, what can I do? And... To me, that's receiving. I'm receiving that support. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Right now at this very moment, um, I'm grateful to be here on the Gold Coast with a different mindset that I had two and a half weeks ago and with the rehabilitation I'm having on my knee and finally being able to walk a little bit. I had this fear factor of never being able to walk on this leg again because it just wasn't getting going. But I'm really grateful, Brett, for you. You have given me a lot in the last fortnight. You have given me a lot in the last 32 and a half, three-quarter years. And I'm so grateful for, for Demi and Jay and your father, Ross, I don't know if I would have survived without all, all four of you and your beautiful fiancée Marie. While she's very quiet, she's very loving and supportive. I would not survive without all of you as this one little compact family. That's what family's for. 
And we mentioned earlier about an aunt of mine that decided to assist my brother in fighting me in court. Um, but on the other hand, there there's a, a, a beautiful aunt that's mum's sister and I'm so grateful for her. She's been a wonderful support to me too. Very positive. Yes. Like I said, we're all here for you. We're all here to support you. Mum, you're a legend. You're creating hope for victims who have been ripped away from reality. You're creating history by changing laws. You're creating spirit for yourself and don't ever forget that. You're proof that you don't need to be bulletproof to change the world. You just need to believe that you can. Keep shining your heart-filled light to the world. Thank you, Brett. Love you. Love you too. Love your guts. There it is, guys. As you can hear, and as I'm sure you could imagine, it's been a tough road for mum, for all of us, in many different ways. But mum has braved it to share with everyone, in the knowing that there's many people out there who experience tough, dark times and battles with mental health issues. But always remember, you are not alone. Make that phone call and have that chat like mum spoke about to help get her through. And if you don't have that person close to you to call, remember, Lifeline is there for you. They're a team of professionals ready to help you. 13, 11, 14. Mum and I are extremely grateful for all your support. Honestly, thank you from the core of our hearts. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.